Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for joining in with us. Now, you're a leader in this post-pandemic world, and you know one thing for certain. One thing, you know, a lot of your role has changed and employee expectations in being in a workplace has really shifted a lot, greatly shifted. And you know that and you're getting more and more used to it to having employees all around the globe. Perhaps that makes more work for you and perhaps that gets less work actually done. I feel it myself. I feel that maybe I get less work done from having people do things around the world, but there's a convenience to it. But I want to ask you this one question. When does it all end? When does it all get sorted out? I tell you what, let's work on that now. We're going to talk about the new leadership playbook with Andrew Bryant. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief about cutting costs while donating to your favorite cause. Stay tuned for that later in this episode. And while you're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get really successful, very successful, super successful at growing your business to a high, sustainable level. Well, meet Andrew Bryant. He's the world's leading expert on self-leadership. So if you're not familiar with him yet, zone in on this and let's get to know him. I think that says it all. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hi, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. Andrew, we're all looking forward to getting our wits, our brain, and everything around the new leadership playbook. So let's kind of go back a little bit and tell me, how did it all start? Okay, so the new leadership playbook actually was commissioned by one of my clients. So I work as an executive coach, as a C-suite advisor, and I was working with CEO and his executive leadership team, as is the thing that I normally do. And the chief people officer said, We love what you've done for us as the executive leadership team, but we need a playbook for our managers. So everybody is saying the same thing and using some of the methodology that you've taught us. Could you write a book? And um, I've written books before. And I said, "We, we, we discussed this, we negotiated it. And I said, yeah, I can write a book for your company, but I want to hang on to the IP and write a book for everybody. If I'm going to write a book, I want to write it so that everybody has access. So typically, a leadership book comes at it from 40,000 feet. I know this because I'm external faculty on a few MBA programs. But the intention of this book is to create a playbook, just like in American football, where a play is a series of set moves. This is a book that has 12 plays, which are really conversations that managers, leaders, entrepreneurs need to have with their people to deliver results. So that's how the book came about. Let me kind of ask something about that. Okay, so you were asked to write this book. So when my audience is thinking, you know, you're an expert on self-leadership. What's your backstory? What made you to be this expert that then brought about this book? Well, then we have to go back a very, very long time. I mean, I had a birthday this, this week and I turned 61. So we have to go all the way back to when I was 21. And I graduated as a physiotherapist in the UK, in England. I was going to do medicine. Um, I was a good science student, but then they merged my boys' grammar school with a girls' high school just before my A-levels, before university. And uh, I don't know what happened, but my grades took a bit of a dip, and I did physiotherapy. Now, physiotherapy in the US, you would know that as physical therapy. Um, in, in the UK, it has a little bit more of a broader scope. I graduated, worked in hospitals for a couple of years, and then did what most male physiotherapists do, is I worked in sport. I worked with first division soccer team. I worked with Olympic athletes. I worked with a ballet company. And working in sport, you get interested in the psychology, right? I mean, I I graduated in the 80s when the research around goal setting happened. And so we were looking at what is the difference that makes the difference? What's the difference between, you know, people can train the same, but why does one team win? And so I got interested in this and I got interested in the concept of coaching. And I moved to Australia 
and I set up a chain of uh, physiotherapy. By this time, I was a graduate in acupuncture. I had a chain of clinics. I opened up a, I opened up a holistic wellness center, and I started working with companies who were sponsoring those sports. And one of the managing directors said, hey, you helped my, my sports team win. Come and work with my management team because they kind of suck. And uh, that's how the transition happened. Uh, I went in with a, with a blank sheet of paper and I watched behaviors. And I watched how these managers talk to each other and how they talk to their teams. And so I was looking at behavior in context. And that's very important when we think about leadership. A lot of people, you know, I've written books on leadership. People ask, you know, what's the best type of leadership? Well, it depends on context and the kind of people that you're leading. So that was the beginning of my framework. I, I, had, a, I had a bit of imposter syndrome because I didn't have an MBA. So I went off to get one and realized that I didn't agree with some of the things that were being taught on the MBA program. And I had a great lecturer who said, you've got some good ideas. You don't agree with me, so go write your own book. And <laughs> here we are, four books later. It's a really interesting story. And I have to admit, prior to this interview, I never really heard the term self-leadership. And if I ever did, it went over my head. So I'm thinking, you're the expert on self-leadership. So somewhere along the line, this concept came self-leadership. And you realized perhaps that you were very good at it and that you could teach it. Tell us about that vision and how that came about, that aha, like, hey, it's self-leadership that's important. Again, we have to go back a little while. It was the late 1990s, and I had started this methodology, and I didn't have a name for it. And I was, I'd been to a professional speakers meeting, and I was having a coffee afterwards with an organizational psychologist, and he was curious about what I was doing because it overlapped with his work. And he said, well, what's, you know, what's your, your, your pedagogy or your andragogy? What's your methodology? And I said, well, it's about people taking ownership for themselves and, and being, you know, taking responsibility, being self-directed. And he actually used the term. He said, oh, you mean like self-leadership? And I said, yeah, that's it. And I thought we had invented the term at that point. And, and I created a company, Self-Leadership International. I own the URL, selfleadership.com. I just, that was probably 1998, 1999, but there was a guy that used the term and the definition in 1985, 87, and, uh, and uh, so I, I don't own it, um, but I did in 2012 with Dr. Anna Kazan write the textbook in which the definition, which if you Google the definition, you'll probably find, which is the practice of intentionally influencing your thinking feeling, and actions towards your objectives. And let me deconstruct that for you and for your listeners. It's a practice. Now, if anybody's old enough to remember Zig Ziglar, the motivational sales trainer in, in the US, and um, Zig, used to, you know, Zig used to say, motivation is like taking a shower. The effect is not permanent. And so self-leadership is like taking a shower. It is a practice. I've been writing, coaching, speaking about self-leadership for over 20 years. And every now and again, my wife will tell me if I'm having a meltdown, go self-leadership yourself. So it is a practice um, of intentionally influencing your thinking, feeling, and actions. And so it's, it's a daily practice, but it is about intention and influence. We have to own our thinking and feeling rather than our thinking and feeling owning us. And this is the ownership, the responsibility. And uh, the absence of self-leadership is very easy to spot. It's blaming, complaining, and playing the victim. So if you're doing any of those three, you're not in self-leadership at that point. And if you're leading people, managing people who are blaming, complaining, and playing the victim, they are not taking ownership. They need to go take that shower, that self-leadership shower. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's, a, it's a physical and metaphorical shower. I mean, sometimes just taking a shower is a good idea. Taking a breath, you know, taking a break, taking a step back from the things that trigger us so that we can get back to being intentional again. And, and it's, it's, it really is, take, yeah, a, a state interrupt, a break, a, a deep breath, a cold shower, a glass of water, whatever you need to do. Because psychologists are showing we have very little free will 
um, certainly a lot less than we thought we did, because from the moment of our birth, you know, the, our mother carries us for nine months and then, you know, delivers us and the midwife or the doctor holds us up, smacks us on the bottom. We may let out a bit of a cry. And then within a few moments, we give them a name, a nationality, an ethnicity, and possibly a religion and a football team to follow. We've been framed. So you're born into a framework and it takes a level of energy to step back from that and get intentional and say, well, what do I choose for myself? What's been programmed for me? And, you know, as we go through life, you know, there are various times, I don't know that you've had this experience, Tony, you, you're acting out and you know, I'm being my dad or I'm being my mum. And you've been carrying that program all these years. This is why therapists, uh, you know, in, you know are, are very busy because people, oh my goodness, I've got to get that out of my head. Well, self-leadership is, is saying, hang on a moment, you know, what do I want? What's important to me? Where am I going? What are my objectives? And then taking ownership for that, setting out on the behaviors that will move you towards the best version of yourself. I really like that because I can see right away that it's all about getting the person to accept responsibility for what the person is doing. Instead of standing there, I'm just going to be really simple, simple graphic. Somebody knocked over the trash, you know, it's metaphorical. Instead of complaining and screaming, just bend down and pick it up. It takes less effort and it's more fun to do that than to jump up and down. And yet we see that in society and in the workplace too much. So now I get that you're doing this and I really want to go into self-leadership, some of the methodology, some of the tips and, and techniques. But the one question I have before I kind of jump into that platform is, why? Why are you doing this, Andrew? What's your purpose behind all this? If, if I have a purpose, it's to wake people up. I mean, the thing that, that um, I, I, I took a stand-up comedy class decades ago. And the, the instructor said, you know, the humor is in the things that irritate you, right? The things that annoy you. And I did a whole comedy skit about, you know, how I used to get frustrated when you, you had to put your stuff in the, in the tray to go through security at the airport. And then somebody would climb over the top of you to get to their stuff. And I'm like, we're at the gate, you know, the plane's not going to take off anymore. Why? And so the thing that used to trigger me is, is paradoxically other people being triggered. Um, you, know, you know, the joke is, I can't tolerate intolerant people, right? And so, you know, teach best what you find hardest to learn. Why did I get into self-leadership? Because I had to take ownership of my life and say, well, what's important? I've been through uh, a few challenges. Um, I went through a business disruption um, and, you know, I've been through the global financial crisis. I've been through health crisis. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues. The New Leadership Playbook with Andrew Bryant. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. What most of you probably don't know about me, unless you've listened to all of my interviews, which you can find on my YouTube channel, is that I used to do MMA, mixed martial arts, before I did podcasting. And I wouldn't say I was very good at it, but I was okay. I didn't have any major injuries, though I did hurt my feet a lot. And after about a year or two of podcasting, I started noticing very painful shoulders that made it very difficult to sleep. It would come and go, and I went to the chiropractor a lot. And I'm not really sure how and or why it started, but it did, and I would have sore shoulder. And if you have any shoulder pain or anything like that, you know what I'm talking about, and it can really interrupt having a good night's rest. But you could never tell when I was podcasting. But anyways, I tried all sorts of things, and then recently I discovered a sleep pillow by MedKline, M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E. And it's a whole sleep pillow package. And it's got a couple of pieces. And once you adjust them to your sleep pattern, your shoulder will drop into this pocket, which takes the weight off your shoulder while you're sleeping. And I got my pillow yesterday and I slept for the first time on this. And I must tell you, as soon as I hit that pillow, and I mean within a minute, I was fast asleep, really. And then I woke up later and I adjusted and I turned 
And I got very familiar with how to adjust it just right for a really good sleep. So I really stand by this pillow from MedKline. It is really amazing. And I want you to know, if you have any kind of shoulder pain or something like that, that their products are covered by FSA and HSA medical expense plans. So you can purchase a MedKline using your health savings funds. And also very important is that it comes with a 60-night sleep guarantee. I hope you will do as well as I did, but it really is a very unique sleeping experience. I absolutely love it. If you struggle with a good night's sleep, this is really going to help you. I'm very serious about this. And I want to let you know that right now, get 20% off when you go to medcline.com slash Tony. Get 20% off and a better night's sleep today at medcline.com slash Tony. Today, get 20% off at medcline.com slash Tony. And that's M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E dot com slash T-O-N-Y. Do this and start getting a good night's sleep and not have that shoulder pain anymore. You're listening to the Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Erso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is the new leadership playbook with Andrew Bryant. And check out my elite entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at TonyDurso.com slash podcast. And now back to the chat with Andrew. I've been through the divorce thing, come out the other side, you know, all of those various life challenges that the temptation to have a pity party, suck my thumb, et cetera, and, and blame everybody else was there. But I got out of it, pulled myself up for the bootstraps and was better on the other side. So when I see people stuck, I, I want to shake them and say, wake up, take ownership, there is there is a better life for you when you do that. When you when you accept, as you said, when you adjust your behaviors, then you can advance. And so, why do I do it? Because you know, I, I'm I'm like the guy that gave up smoking and wants everybody else to give up smoking, or even worse, the vegans who want to convert everybody else. I'm like that person. I'm like, there's an opportunity here for you, not only to lead yourself. But when we can lead ourselves, then we can influence others to lead themselves. And that's what, for me, leadership is all about, is empowering and engaging others to be the best version of themselves, and hence the New Leadership Playbook. And we're talking about the New Leadership Playbook with Andrew Bryant, and you can find him at selfleadership.com, selfleadership.com, and check it out. This is really interesting, and I want to kind of get into your vision path on here and get my brain around this. One of the things that I think can come at odds on the self-leadership that we've defined already is I've got to make a target. I'm in a rush. I've got to make a deadline. It's, I am so used to uh, many years in the corporate world being yelled at, you know, we got to get this done. It's got to get done. You know, it's like, boom, it's kind of similar. And it's like, Well, you could say that may or may not be good leadership. We're not going to go there. But I'm saying, how do you practice that when you've got, you're in a rush. You've got something. You can't sit around and and deal with the babies or whatever. I'm going to just leave it right there and give it over to you and and help us through this. Okay. Well, there's a number of ways of approaching that. The first is to articulate the tagline of of this book, which is being human whilst successfully delivering accelerated results. So as you point out, it's a reality in business that we have deadlines, we have targets, and you could be the most empathetic and engaging and loved leader, but if you don't deliver on your targets, your tenure is temporary. You're not going to last. We have to deliver on targets. The question is, can we be human to do it? And the reality is that we only achieve those targets if we are empowering, engaging, and leveraging the humanity. And why why do we need a new leadership playbook? Because many of the leadership principles have been around since the dawn of time, but because we've had two years of people taking greater ownership and responsibility as they work from home, as they had to manage themselves much more than having somebody lean over the desk. 
So we are actually now leading people who have greater autonomy and greater responsibility. And I think it's dangerous to try and turn the, the clock back. Yes, we want people to come back to the workplace, but we have to think about more intelligent ways about how do we get the best out of people. Nine to five, leaning over and yelling at people has not delivered the best results. When you've got empowered, engaged people who are passionate about an objective, where the company's objectives are aligned to the individual's advancement, those organizations are leaving the others in the dust. So whilst it feels like a real adrenaline rush to yell at people and get things done, be the sergeant major, it's only good for things that are repetitive or fairly simple. If you want people to bring their best, you got to do it a different way. And that's what we should be discussing. Okay. And one thing I'm thinking with all of this is, as I mentioned in the intro, is we have this new paradigm shift over the past couple of years. You've talked about it. I've talked about it. Most of, I, well, I don't even know if most employees are home. Just let's just say a lot more employees work from home and things are different. And I think that throws in huge challenges to this self leadership. So, how do we solve that? How do we deal with that as the leader? I, I don't know whether it's, I, I think self leadership is the answer to this is, is, is being a self leader and encouraging that in others. It's very difficult to encourage an environment of self-leaders if you're not practicing it yourself, right? It's you know, not do as I say, not as I do. Right? The, the clear uh, research from Google around you know, what makes the best functioning team is psychologically, psychological safety, that people have the permission and it's safe to speak up and ask a question and challenge. So... As a self-leader, you are taking ownership. Now, let me just take a sideways step for a moment and, and talk about something. Um, you know, Freud gave us this concept of ego, superego, and id. And in, in popular culture, people talk about leaders as having an ego, right? And, and so you see the person, you know, it's all about me and it's all about my targets. Understanding that, um, changes the way we look at ego. When people are being what people say is ego, is they're being egotistical, being egomaniacal, that usually comes from having a weak ego. They are needy. Right? When you practice self-leadership, you know how to get your thoughts and feelings and actions taken care of, and so you're better able to focus on others. So you've actually got a healthy ego, so it reduces those egotistical, the yelling, the shouting type of behaviors. You can be a lot calmer because you're taking responsibility. If I give instructions to one of my team and they don't do what I expected them to do, first place I look is in the mirror. Did I set the expectations right? Because if they didn't come back, rather than immediately blame them, and I have a formula in the book that says, you know, clear expectations times mindset and motivation times right behaviors equals results. So if I don't get a result, all right, I, I can take the feedback. My bad. I probably didn't explain this properly. Let me give you the feedback. This is what I was looking for. Do I have your buy-in for that? Oh. So instead of yelling and screaming and, and demoralizing an individual, we both take ownership and the job gets done. So addressing self first makes us a better leader. And the analogy, and it's been used by others before me, but it's a, it's a, it's a great metaphor, when you're on the aeroplane, the steward and stewardess says, if the oxygen mask falls from the ceiling, place over your nose and mouth before assisting others. Because you're useless. If you're stressed and you're, you're, you're freaking out, you're, you're not empowering, engaging, inspiring your people. So take a breath of oxygen and then you can help others. You're no good if you've passed out. Of course, it's so obvious. <laughs> Andrew, in your book, you've got some principles of the leadership playbook. Let's go into some of the plays and the principles. This is really interesting stuff. Sure. Well, we've covered the first principle, which is self-leadership comes first. You can't lead others unless you first lead yourself. The second principle is leaders are learners. And we've sort of touched on this a little bit, which is this, this willingness to, to take the feedback as the leader, not to imagine that you're perfect and but to constantly take the feedback. I didn't give the instructions. 
as effectively. I didn't get the results, so I look in the mirror and I learn how can I do that better. And that's the, the second principle. And that gives us the third principle, which a number of organizations, Amazon for one, uses this, which is progress over perfection. One of the one of the things that really is a problem for organizations in this hugely adaptable world is perfection. Um, I just got back uh, last month. I was in Sweden speaking for a large uh, multi-country um, engineering company, and they're engineers and they love perfection. They love it. And their CEO is saying, we need to disrupt, we need to go into new markets, we need to try new things. And they go, but we don't want to do that until we're perfect. And the CEO is saying, you're going to have to go beyond that because it's going to be a learning curve. So leaders are learners. We need to make progress. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. And this is a huge mindset shift for engineers. But to their credit, they were embracing it because they had learned to adapt through the pandemic. Then you have another leadership principle that we've talked about, and it comes out of that self-leadership, that willingness to have a voice and, and encouraging your people to disagree with you. So you don't have, you're not surrounded by yes people. And as you as an individual, you need to be able to disagree with your boss in a way that's, that's not conflict. But once that the consensus has been reached or, or the direction has been agreed upon, you commit to that. So let me stop there. There's a, there's a couple more, but uh, let me take a breath and, and invite you to jump in on any of those. One thing that you mentioned, which may have nothing to do with these principles, and it may have something to do with the later principle, is I've been in corporate America for too many decades that I want to mention. And I routinely would run into, you know, because you, again, we talked about you've got your target, you've got what you want to do. Employee that just doesn't really want to do it, doesn't get with it, could, could work to get the, the task done, but just doesn't want to, kind of negative, but they're also kind of, let me be a politically correct, slightly protected. You've got to watch your P's and Q's a little bit, and you've got to motivate this employee to just do the job that anybody else would be glad to do. And here I am talking about why you should do your job instead of We've got to make the target. You, you, you kind of get my drift on where we're going. And it's sort of like, what do you do when you get this, this obstinate type person that just, is, just doesn't kind of want to really go with the flow, but yet you've still got to be very diplomatic about it? Well, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, said, get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus. And uh, in, in the book, I talk, one of the plays that I, I describe is, is around talent and strengths. And, and we have to understand the distinction between talent and strength. You know, some people just have a talent. Now, you know, my name is Andrew Bryant. You know, I, I share the, 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 the same surname as a very successful basketball player who is no longer with us. I do not have the innate talent to play basketball. I just don't have it, Right. Now, I might have, you know, I might have the commitment and the strength, right? You know, think about the movie Rudy, you know, the, the, the guy that was too small to play American rules football, but he had the heart for it, right? So you're better off with somebody who's got the talent, you know, who weighs 240 pounds and, and has the fast twitch muscle fibers. So we need to look at our team. And there's a great acronym in the book that, I, that is COW, C-O-W, Capacity ownership and willingness, right? The capacity in the American football expert, you know, if they're 240 pounds and they've got fast twitch muscle fibers, they've got natural talent for doing that. Are they taking ownership and are they willing, right? Um, and, and, and the O can also stand for opportunity. Have you put them in the right position, right? They've got the capacity, but you haven't given them the right opportunity. You haven't put them in the right slot. You haven't played them in the right position. And are they willing? Now, if they don't have the capacity, there is no position for them and they're not willing. You've got to get them off the bus ASAP. If they have some capacity um, and, and you think they're in the wrong position, move them around and see if they're willing to do something different. So you've got this, this diagnosis and you should look at yourself. You could, none of us are good at everything, right? I have some capacity in certain areas, right? And, and I, I make sure I, I choose the opportunities that work best for me and, and I'm willing. There are areas I'm not good, and I get other people in to play that. 
This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues. The New Leadership Playbook with Andrew Bryant. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. wherever Alexa and Google are, at home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests, now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is the New Leadership Playbook with Andrew Bryant. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at TonyDurso.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Andrew. Now, over and above that, you mention a layer of politics and protectionism, et cetera. And that is not an easy question to answer on a podcast. The reality is to look at, you know, who, who is protecting that individual? Why? What is, what is the needs here? What is the currency? Why is this person being protected? Um, and it, it's tough for leaders to play politics. We would love to just have the best employees in the right opportunity and engage them to be motivated. Um, as much as possible, um, getting somebody to, to want to do it for themselves is the key. And if you can't, again, get them off the bus. The, there's, a, there's a wonderful formula for motivation, which comes out of the 1960s by a, by a Dr. Vroom. Victor Vroom, and I love that name. I think it sounds like a Marvel anti-hero. But Vroom, and I actually address this in the book, but in a very in a very simplified form, is Vroom says if people are going to be motivated, they have to have the expectation that if they put in the effort, they're going to have some level of improvement. And the simplest way to describe this is is the gym. If I go to the gym and I lift weights. I have to have the expectation that I'm going to get stronger or get fitter. Then when there is a movement, a delta, there is a change that they're going to get acknowledged or they're going to get some level of positive feedback from that. And the third component is that they care about that positive feedback. So we motivate people when we can show them that if they put in the effort, they're going to make some progress. When that progress happens, they're going to get some acknowledgement and that they care about getting that acknowledgement. If you can address those things, you can turn around a non-performing employee. If you can't, get them off the bus as quickly as possible and fill the position with somebody who can do the job. You said it exactly right. I totally agree with that, and that is the way to do it. Very interesting. I know we've got a few more principles to go over, so let's, uh, let's take the next one. Yeah, I had to reach for the book for a moment. <laughs> So the the next principle is executive presence. And to be a leader, you need executive presence, which I like to define as the ability to project confidence, gravitas, and poise under pressure. In addition, the ability to read the audience, which perhaps speaks a little bit to the politics that we were talking about in the previous question. So I see a lot of leaders fail because they don't step into their executive presence and, and act like an executive. They get promoted, but they're still operating like a frontline supervisor. As an executive with executive presence, you're going to start to have to have executive function, start step, stepping back, having ideas, insights, perspectives, and being able to articulate those with some gravitas, gravity or um, substantiveness is another way of saying that. There's some... So developing your executive presence is essential for the leader. You could be technically brilliant, but if you cannot present your idea with executive presence, it will not be adopted. And you've spent time in corporate America, you know that the best ideas are not adopted 
the best supported ideas are adopted. Oh, you like that? I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm pondering that very thoroughly. And, I, and it makes me think of several things on, of course, training, explaining your vision and your purpose of the company to the employees and all this sort of thing. But sometimes you get these employees, and I may be going off on a tangent, but I've, I have a myriad of experience in the corporate world I've never spoken about, where you get these little groups and they think you're just on a power trip. We've got a target to make. I've got a client. I've got a deadline. And I'm being as nice as I can be, but we've still got to get this thing done. And the employees lower think, oh, you're just on a power trip. You, you're just a big boss. They, they don't see the big picture. They, they just think you're pushing your weight around. And I've seen this sometimes. And it's, just, it's really weird. And it's, it's, it's difficult to take care of. It may be similar to what I've said. They either on, they're either on the bus or you've got to get them off the bus. That's for sure. And it's just, I think there's a bit of... Yeah, maybe, maybe part of that is increasing the executive presence to solicit that, that cooperation, because that's really what you're working with, is the cooperation of the people under you. Sure. Um, and, and that's the ability to read the audience as part of executive presence. You know what, what drives and inspires people. But executive presence isn't loud. In fact, if anything, it's quiet. I mean, I remember my father, may, may he rest in peace. When he went quiet, that's when we paid attention. Right? <laughs> yeah, and, and so there's, there's a certain, you know, the gravitas is, is a power. You know, it gives us the word gravity. Uh, a large mass like a planet has gravity, right? So when you know your stuff and you, you have a, a history of delivering, a history of, of being thoughtful, of being right, then you become listened to. Uh, Aristotle, two and a half thousand years ago, said, if you want to influence, have ethos, pathos, and logos. And ethos can be translated as, as ethics or character. It is that core of executive presence. Pathos is the empathy. We've talked about being human. And logos is the logic. But the logic is the least of the influential triad. The, the number one is the, the ethos. We listen to people. Some people walk into a room and everybody's eyes turn to them and they want to know what that person thinks. And if you want to be an effective leader, you need to develop those skills because then everything else becomes a lot easier because they will listen to you. Absolutely. And one of the principles I believe that's, that's we haven't discussed yet, which is probably perfect timing now, is as that leader to get things done, you want to be it to be a safe psychologically nice environment for the employees where they love working there. I've, I've worked in companies and I've met people. They love their company so much that they literally take less pay than they would at another company that wants them because they love it so much because the workplace is so nice and they work really well. So that executive's got to set that sphere. Perhaps you may have some uh, comments or some principle, some more of that principle to talk about on how to accomplish that. Well, it does segue nicely. Thank you for that. Uh, and it is principle six around build the team. And psychological safety is very key to build a team. The one piece of semantics I might, might challenge your question with, if you, if you don't mind, is being nice. Because I don't think you necessarily build an effective team with the word nice. Now, this, this is me being, in, you know, being an Englishman. You know, I, I had to study the etymology, the, the origin of words. And uh, when I was at a, a, a junior school, I had a teacher with the same surname as me, Bryant, and he clearly did not think I lived up to the name, and he picked on me mercilessly. And he would hit us over the back of the knuckles with a steel ruler, and that old, that, that kind of punishment was allowed. And he had a pet peeve for the word nice. He said nice is a terrible adjective, it's inexact. And, and in fact, if you look at the etymology, it comes from the French and originally the Latin. And nice actually means inexact. It means, uh, it, it doesn't mean what we think it is, right? So when we're nice, we're not being very specific, right? We're being a bit vague. We're, being, we're avoiding actually having the crucial conversation. And one of the plays in this, in this book, there's two plays that are relevant to this, feedback and a crucial conversation. You see, if you're not performing and I'm nice, 
and I make it all safe for you. But then a year goes by and you get your performance review and your performance review comes back and says, you didn't miss, beat your targets. You didn't meet your criteria. And you go, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I was being nice. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues. The New Leadership Playbook with Andrew Bryant. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is The New Leadership Playbook with Andrew Bryant. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at Tony D-U-R-S-O, dot com slash podcast. And now back to the chat with Andrew. People would much prefer that you call them up, you know, with a positive intention and said, hey, this behavior isn't going to get you where you want to be. You know, do you have some options and choices? Yeah, I do. Well, why don't you try this? You'll be, you know, you're going to get more of a result from that. And if that's great, fine. And if it doesn't, you say, hey, we had a conversation last month about you changing your behavior. I noticed you haven't. I need to call you on this and hold you accountable because it's not going to end well if you continue on this path. Now, you're going to actually love somebody who does that for you if you make the change. You'll hate them if you don't make the change. And that's actually what a, a team is about, having worked on sports teams as, as, as the physiotherapist and then working on executive teams and, and then executive leadership teams. People love a boss who sees the best in you and holds you to that standard. If I say, hey, Tony, I know that you can do better than this. Tony, this isn't your best work. I know that you can do better. That builds the team rather than being nice. Will you forgive me for picking you up on the word? I love it. And you said it so nicely. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm Italian. I can say that. Once again, we talked about the new leadership playbook with Andrew Bryant, and you can find him again at selfleadership.com. Andrew, some great points. It really impacts and resonates with me having been in so many different positions in the corporate world as well as the entrepreneur world. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. And here's an insider's brief about cutting costs while donating to your favorite cause. Are you looking for found money? Well, here's a highlight on the dream person that you want to have a chat with, Will Black. He's steeped in the world of merchant accounts, and he knows the ins and outs of how businesses suffer headache and financial damage from getting paid in plastic. It's all going to make much more sense in just a few moments. Meet Will Black. He wrote the book. Paid in Plastic, The Art of the Steel. He's an Amazon bestseller, and he sits on the board of a number of organizations and churches. Hi, Will, and welcome to the show. Hey, Tony. Thank you for having me. Will, this is a very intriguing subject, Paid in Plastic, and how we can find money in a way, though it's called found money in kind of in quotes. Now, we're all entrepreneurs and businessmen here in the audience. We're all heirs based on the intro. So tell us, Will. Where do we start from here? Well, it's a, a basic understanding. Um, at what happens is, is you, me, everybody, right? We use our plastic every day. Our debit cards or our credit cards, right? We go into a physical store. We go to online stores. Well, every time we do that, right, that business is charged by Visa MasterCard a fee at the end of the month. 
By the way, that's jokingly often called the groan fee, <laughs> right? You groan when you see how much comes out. Well, everybody right now is saying, well, no kidding. This is the shocking news. No, you know that part. What you don't know is the secret sauce is one of those fees that are built in. It doesn't go to Visa. It doesn't go to MassGuard. It goes back into the system, Tony, normally to a bank. But what if I told you, and I am telling you, it can go to your charity, not Will's charity, not Visa MassCard charity, Tony's charity, right? If you have a business and there's something that you know and love and is dear to your heart, as one woman entrepreneur said to me years ago, she said, Will, my work isn't the only thing that inspires me. <laughs> and I've always loved that. And so what happens is you've just developed the absolute sustainable form of funding for nonprofits in the world. You, if you're in business, you have to take plastic, right? I mean, how, how are you in business nowadays if you don't take debit card and credit card? That's, that's everybody. Nobody cares cash anymore. That's going to be in a museum. Two more years, maybe, right? It's going in a museum. Uh, so everybody uses their plastic, and it, thus everybody pays these fees. Think about if all those fees, instead of just back into the system, could go to your nonprofit, the thing you know and love. We've done it to the tune of millions of dollars. We've done it with businesses that are brand new startups to businesses that do millions of dollars a month. At the end of the day, small or large, white, yellow, black, plaid, it doesn't matter. We all have something, we, some cause we believe. And we got to go to work. We might as well support that, that item with our work painlessly, sustainably. You're saying, just so I get it and to, re to just repeat and reiterate it, whether we're starting out, whether we take plastic, whether we do whatever, we can see that those fees go to our favorite charity, whoever we like to help. So we're just helping them, and it's considered as coming from our business, i.e. as a tax write-off? Well, you don't get a tax write-off um, because it is... Um uh, the, the percentage it comes out is normally um, up to and as high as about 25% of what you uh, is taken out of your business and fees by Visa MassCard, right? So if you have $100 in fees that come out a few monthly, you might be giving about 25. If you have 1,000 that come out, it might be 250, about, uh, about there. We have people that pay $10,000, $20,000 a month to their charity. No kidding. Single companies that, you know, really, really shovel it in. Um, and the whole point is, is since it's built in, it's got to go someplace. So where do you want it to go? You want to go it to, to a bank? You want to buy a bank present, a new Lexus? Or <laughs> you want to save some puppies, feed the homeless, save veterans from, you know, from, you know, from suicide? You, know, you pick your cause. Well, let me jump in again on this. So that, those fees, that fee, those fees, yeah. it's not already earmarked by whoever, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express, whoever. Right. It's not already earmarked that it goes somewhere. You're allowed to say, hey, I want this to go to this charity. You can actually determine that? Yes. Well, you have to have two things. It's kind of earmarked. It's kind of. It's built in ultimately because here's what happens. Most of the time when somebody opens a merchant account, um, we're really not super techno savvy about this. We get in our car and we drive to our local bank and we set it up. And Visa MassCard has to put something in there for the bank. Ultimately, it's a referral fee. And the IRS says it can go to a nonprofit. So it's kind of earmarked, but it's earmarked for either the bank or the nonprofit. So you get to pick. The only difference is, is will the group that sets up what you do, will they give to your charity? Unfortunately, 99.999% of the time, the answer is no. They're going to pocket it. They're going to give it to a bank. They're going to do something. Um, in their own food chain. We build it in where we say it will go to your charity into perpetuity. Let me tell you the favorite words a charity ever hears, unrestricted funds. Unlike a grant, right, that says no operating costs, no anything, it's the same as a cash donation. But it can be marked, Tony Durso, <clears throat> you know, Smith's Bakery, uh, you know, Johnny's Fine, uh, you know, automobiles, whatever your business is, it can go with it, your name to your charity. Very intriguing. So how do we set this up? Do we, do we 
call businesses? Is there a, a form where we say, hey, can you send money to our charity instead of sending it to the bank? Or maybe I'm like on a, on a different world now. How, does, how, do we, how do we do this? Sure. Um, that part, this part is really, really hard. Um, my company is called Sharing the Credit. You can go to sharingthecredit.com. You'll talk to one of my absolute favorite funding specialists. And you say, this is the charity I want to support. And then we say, great. But Tony, first, first, you're in business to be in business, right? Uh, you're not in business to help a nonprofit. First, let's see if we can make this a win for you. Let's see if we can save you some money. Even if you don't use us, at least you'll know where you are. That way, if you save some money, then we say, if we can save you some money, then please consider making your favorite charity your automatic donation target, because that's what's going to happen. Once you selected the, the charity and it's, um, it's a registered 501c3 with the IRS, right, in good standing, then guess what? Tony doesn't have anything else to do other than finish his basic merchant account. Then he's funding that charity forever. Um, and you don't have to cut your charity a check. You don't have to authorize it. It's going. <laughs> and it's going as long as your business is open. All right. You're saying this that for the business where we take customer cards, i.e. plastic, yeah. we process them through our machine, swipe them however. That's right. We can, we can determine that that fee goes to whatever charity we want. So that's something that we set up when we set up that merchant account. That's right. That's right. And we can change that if we go to sharingthecredit.com, we can get information and assistance on how to switch that to our favorite charity. And only to your benefit, right? The first thing we're going to do is make sure it's a good fit for your business. So if we can save you some money, uh, which we always do, everybody overpays. Um, there's a joke in the industry, and that is if you've had your merchant account a year, you're overpaying because it's designed to go up without you. It's death by a thousand pin pricks, right? All these little changes are always happening. And so we educate you a little bit. We actually show you how you can watch your own numbers and keep us honest because, man, let me tell you, our trick is, is we don't want to get you in and raise your rate and then lose you in two years. Um, in my industry, let me tell you another little dirty secret. In my industry, uh, they tell us that um, the average merchant processing firm like myself uh, can lose 30% of their entire portfolio in a given year. That's why they're always at such a mad scramble to get more in, right? Um, sharing the credit has lost less than one half of 1% of all clientele we've ever had since inception. Um, and the reason is, is because it's not so because I'm so incredibly good looking. And I am. My mama told me. She said, I'm so good looking. Mamas always tell the truth. Uh, no, she, she never lies, right? Uh, no, it's because Tony doesn't want to hurt his nonprofit. So as long as I keep Tony's rates low, then Tony is supporting his nonprofit into perpetuity. What doesn't make you feel good about that, right? That's a double helping of chicken soup for the soul all day long. Now, I'm familiar with nonprofits. I've run into them over the years. I've interviewed some, several. I have more coming. We don't necessarily, or they don't necessarily, spend a lot of money. They're looking to get corporate funding, business funding. How can this be used to get businesses to, to switch from the bank, the bank manager's Lexus to funding, <laughs> uh, funding your nonprofit? Thank you for leading, setting up that dunk. That's the old-fashioned alley-oop right there. Um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, our number one referral source are the charities we work with right now, right? Um, we talk to charities every day, and they tell their donor base, hey, if you have a business, you can support us in pre-tax dollars without ever writing us a check. And that's when the Tonys of the world say, I I'm sorry, tell me that again? <laughs> and you say, well, every time somebody comes into that business, and you're into your business and swipes a card, right? There's a fee that comes out at the end of the month. One of those fees is going back into the system, but it could help us save puppies. It could help us feed the homeless. It can help us do all the things we do. And you're already supporting us, right? And then they put us in touch with us. Um, as a matter of fact, we, um, as a, our funding example, we send out to, you know, prospective charities that are looking to come online. We show them a group. They jokingly call themselves the local nonprofit. 
Tony, that's their inside joke because they say if you drive 30 miles in any direction, nobody's ever heard of them, <laughs> right? And uh, they couldn't find major gifts. They weren't in a major metropolitan area, and they were just looking. A small outfit, they only wanted 80000 extra a year. And for us, that's an opening salvo, I'm, really. Um, but they said, Will, we've got a problem. Um, we don't have a lot of businesses. Well, we laugh at that. Inside, we're not making fun of them. <laughs> we want to tell them, and we tell them later, did you really think everybody that donates to you won the lottery? No, they own a business or they work at a business. So they did what we told them. They had about 20 businesses come online um, and go with sharing the credit, right? Uh, that's a very finite number. Collectively, those businesses do about $2 million in plastic sales a month, and they donate $11,000 a month to their charity. $11,000, grand a year <clears throat> that they don't have to throw a banquet for. They don't have to throw, do a, a golf tournament for. All those things that take three, four months of planning, make them rip their hair out, right? And then are incredibly expensive to throw. Um, my only problem, commiserate with me here. Uh, my only problem is these guys were just too ethical. They only wanted 80. They got 120,000. They've been getting it for five years now. So they haven't brought in any more companies. They, all, their, all their funding was met, right? And, um, and, uh, and since we don't block operating costs, all of those things, it's just like they get 120000 in cash a year. It goes into the operating account and their board decides, all right, this is what we're doing. And, you know, a small business and, you know, you've talked to so many people, small business when they're, when they're bootstrapping everything, you know, they always tell me, they say, I'm so busy working in the business. I can't work on the business. How many times have you heard that? Right. Too many. Right. A nonprofit, and you've got and you you and I were talking about this a little bit last time, is the opposite. They're so busy working on the mission, getting money and supplies that they're not working in the mission, right? And you're like, we need you feeding the homeless. We need you saving veterans from committing suicide or getting these dogs off the streets that are freezing to death out in the cold and all the things that move us, you know, move our hearts on a daily basis. And so the whole point is. They often work from feast or famine. They're, they're, you know, they throw a bank or do something. They've got a lot of money and all of a sudden they can barely make payroll. We despise that. We say, listen, a few businesses, they're giving to you into perpetuity. It's unrestricted funds. What is not to love? If you're, and remember, and you know this, 80% of all funding in the U.S. to, to charity comes from small businesses. It's not the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's not that. It's a little mom and pop down the road. They're the wheel horse, right? They're the ones doing all the work. And that's what we help them give. This is Will Black. And again, he's a best-selling author, Paid in Plastic, The Art of the Steel. Just gave us a lot of great information on how to get our favorite charities and how to support them. Really brilliant. I haven't run into this idea or methodology before. I think it's brilliant. And you can find out more about it and get a hold of Will at sharingthecredit.com. Will, I want to thank you so much for this information. It was absolutely amazing. I loved it. Thank you, Tony. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. I love this about self-leadership. We discussed the new leadership playbook with Andrew Bryant. We talked about many factors which are listed in the book. You should check that out. Some things like how a leader deals with employees when there's a time constraint, how not to be nice, but to be a leader, to be effective, and how to deal with this new world, whatever the language is, people working at the company, people working physically, people working around the world. To me, it's very, very different. And what are the challenges and how do you be an effective leader? In all of that, we talked about self-leadership. What is it? How to use that to put people together. We talked about multiple principles of the book and some of the plays, how to get that gap closed so that people respect you, how to have that executive presence. And I really like that point about silence. That is really, really good. Instead of force, speak more softly. And it's that pause, it's that silence. I really like that. I'm going to check that out again. 
And we talked about how to bring about a psychologically safe workplace and a whole lot more. So let me ask you this question. What did we discuss that resonated with you? Tell us your story. And please remember supporting the show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts, as well as comments on the video platforms. All right, don't make it a nice review. Make it an effective review. I'm going to change my nomenclature now. And of course, share this with a few friends to help them too. They'll thank you nicely. All right, use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Erso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Erso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 